0: Forgiveness is not just about healing relationships. She cheated on me, and it took me years to forgive her. Or, my sister stole my clothes and jewelry for years and denied it. We're closer now, but things are still not good between us. Or, dad consistently forgot to show up to my soccer games and piano concerts, and it took me years to forgive him. These examples are how we traditionally tend to think about forgiveness, right? But what do we do when we don't have a willing, pros- pro- a willing partner in the healing process? What do we do if the person who has wronged us does not think that they have done wrong, or if they just don't care? What do we do if this person is no longer in our lives? What do we do if the person is dead? Now, I was really socially awkward as a teenager, and I've held on to one story in particular for almost 20 years. My music teacher in junior high school, Mr. Richter, started class off one morning by asking if anyone had seen the rerun of The Golden Girls that had been on TV the night before. Now, I was one of those overeager kids, always aiming to please. And so, of course, I raised my hand excitedly. I did. I did. Mr. Richter said, Well, there was this funny conversation last night where a kid was explaining to two of the Golden Girls the difference between a dork and a geek. But I don't remember exactly what he said. Now, this wasn't a problem. I remembered the exchange clearly and proceeded to repeat it almost verbatim to the entire class. When I was done, Mr. Richter said, Well, thank you, Seth. And you know, the reason why I brought it up was because when I was watching it, I was thinking of you. I was devastated, and I held on to that devastation for a long time afterwards. In my 20s, I would go over and over this experience in my head. I dreamed about tracking down Mr. Richter and going to see him, and I planned on telling him in pretty plain language how completely insensitive he was to make me, one of his students, a kid that he was responsible for, feel that small and insignificant. It's only recently that I've been able to heal most of that pain and begin to forgive him. And I'm still not all the way there, even now. For me, this is a prime example of how forgiveness is not, in the end, about getting an apology from someone. I was carrying that pain around, that pain and hurt, around for a long time. And it wasn't hurting Mr. Richter. The only person it was hurting was me. According to Dr. Fred Luskin, the director of the Stanford University Forgiveness Project, I had constructed what he calls a grievance story, which is where you tell yourself and others a victim story over and over and over again. The problem with grievance stories is that they don't get us anywhere. Instead, they just leave us sitting there, stewing in our own hurt and pain. Now, don't get me wrong there is definitely a natural grieving process that we go through when we're harmed. We're usually angry and hurt, we rehearse the narrative in our minds, and we share the painful story with others. If we become bogged down in the story, though, and continually revisit the pain, we don't move forward. Now, I spoke with a woman once who shared with me each major grievance she ever experienced. It was actually pretty remarkable to listen to, starting in kindergarten with the teacher who corrected her unfairly for spilling water that someone else knocked over, to second grade or oh, first grade where the teacher threw an eraser at her, to second grade and third grade it just kept on going, all the way up. This woman was stuck in pain, hurt, and resentment. And in fact, the word resentment comes from the root word ressentir, meaning to feel again. And this is, exact, this is exactly what that woman was doing, reliving those experiences with me. And I'm sure she did it with others, too. She kept feeling the same pain, decades-old pain in some cases, over and over again. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty terrible to me, reliving feelings of pain and hurt over and over again. I mean, if I asked... Would you like some pain, hurt, and anger to store in your body and stew over for the next 10 years? Would anybody be jumping up and down to say, yes, me, please? Probably not, right? And yet, this is exactly what we do when we hold on to and live in our grievance stories. We give over our personal power to the individual who hurt us. We let their past actions dominate our present experience. When we live in our grievance stories, we don't allow ourselves to heal. We don't allow for there to be peace in our hearts. And I'm talking about a very specific kind of peace here, a deep and meaningful peace. We can push hurts and wounds aside, we can repress them, we can compartmentalize them, and we may even achieve some sense of peace in the moment, or even in many moments but pain and hurt that is set aside within us, it's still there, it doesn't go away. When I think about carrying around pain and hurt like that, I imagine it being like wearing a backpack of heavy rocks and carrying it around all day, every day. At a certain point, if I carry this backpack around all the time, my body would eventually adjust to it, and I would likely forget it was even there many, many much of the time. I know you, know you might get some reminders from time to time. Your back might get sore, and I might need to shift or adjust the straps occasionally. But when I carry this backpack around day after day, week after week, the weight would fade into the background. It would begin to feel normal. And imagine if someone were to come along though and lift out a few of those heavy rocks. I would immediately notice that I felt lighter. And it's this lightness, this removal of weight, this is the kind of peace that forgiveness brings about. Shifting rocks of pain and hurt around, putting them out of your conscious awareness, that can bring some sense of peace and comfort. But the weight is still there, the pain is still there, even if we aren't consciously aware of it. Choosing forgiveness is choosing to undergo the process of taking rocks out of your bag. Now, rocks of pain and hurt, are not, aren't, they're not easy to remove. But as we begin to heal, the rocks do come out. And we may never empty our backpacks completely. But every time we choose the path of forgiveness and healing and take one more of those grievance-story rocks out of our backpack, there is greater peace in our heart. Now, sometimes, these rocks in our backpacks are heavier than we could ever imagine. A friend of mine, Richard, was confronted with a terrible act of violence, an act of violence that harmed someone he loved dearly. His 19-year-old daughter was raped and murdered. Now, I'm sure the weight on Richard's shoulders must have seemed as if it would crush him. His only daughter was gone, and nothing was going to bring her back. Her attacker was quickly captured, put on trial, and received a 20-year sentence. But despite this quick justice, Richard could not get past his daughter's death. The basic tasks of daily life became nearly impossible for him to manage, and he took retirement, two years, early retirement, two years after she died. In his own words, I kept my daughter's death to myself. I suppressed it. I didn't go through an authentic grieving process. Richard kept this rock in his backpack for a long time. But the turning point, the choice to begin, the path towards healing and forgiveness, didn't come until several years later. When Richard started treatment for clinical depression, he made a choice to move forward. By this point he had moved back to New Hampshire and at the suggestion of his pastor he became part of a prison Bible fellowship program as part of his healing process. The fellowship program led him to volunteer for a nonprofit organization that offers weekend-long workshops to incarcerated people, helping them learn alternative responses to conflict besides violence. Over the course of many weekends, Richard heard the stories of incarcerated people. He learned about their struggles he learned about the crime-ridden communities in which many of them grew up. Richard spent many hours with these men, men who came from similar backgrounds as the man who murdered his daughter, men who had committed similar crimes. And he gained firsthand knowledge of their humanity. He even began to see something of his daughter and the men he was working with. They are angry and alienated, he said. And at the same time, they are also looking for love and acceptance. Volunteering with these men helped Richard to heal, so much so that he eventually came to the following conclusion. I have come to understand that everyone has a spark of the divine. Richard spent the last 20 years of his life volunteering in prisons, helping incarcerated people learn about empathy, compassion, nonviolence, and healing. Again, in his own words, I believe the work I do now in prison and with ex-prisoners honors and gives significance to my daughter's life. In forgiving her killer without condoning his heinous action, I am free to get on with my life, no longer imprisoned by rage or grief. And this has been very healing for me. Richard was not a Buddhist. He was a Congregationalist through and through. But his experience and actions remind me very much of the Buddhist loving-kindness meditation. In this spiritual practice, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, one begins by meditating on loving your own self. And the goal is to feel love and connection with your own being. The next step is to meditate on loving someone who you respect and care about, which is fairly easy for most people. Third, you might meditate on a neutral person, a stranger, loving them and sending them your loving energy. The hard part is the final meditation. The practice asks you to meditate on loving someone that you dislike, to send loving energy towards someone with whom you have feelings of ill will. It seems to me that Richard lived this practice of Buddhist loving-kindness meditation in his life. He worked first on loving and healing himself. Then when he was ready, he worked on loving and helping neutral people, incarcerated people in prison with whom he had no direct connection. And then finally, through this work of trying to love and heal others, he was able to move into forgiveness of the man who murdered his daughter. He was able to see that this man who had committed terrible acts of violence, that even he had a spark of the divine within. Richard was an amazing man, and the radical forgiveness he practiced is not something everyone can or is willing to do.
1: My experience with my music
0: teacher was nowhere near as severe as Richard's, experience of his daughter's death. But he forgave, and in fact radically forgave with love, while I have yet to be able to do so completely. Forgiveness, while a choice, is not always an easy thing to do. But we have to try, because if we don't, we're just letting the pain and hurt fester inside us. Now, mercy is the theme here for this month, and if you read my newsletter article, you saw that I talked about how I'm beginning to think that mercy for me is more an attitude or a mindset instead of a specific action that comes down from on high. Mercy is an attitude that draws on forgiveness, that is rooted in compassion, that sources itself in loving-kindness. It's an attitude of gentleness towards ourselves and each other. Now, we're all carrying around these backpacks of rocks with us, all the time. We all have pain and wounds we carry, grievance stories and otherwise. Perhaps we might start being a little bit more merciful with ourselves and begin to forgive and let go. How might your experience of daily life be different if you were to choose the path of forgiveness and healing, regardless of whether you had a willing partner in the process? How might the world be a different place if each and every one of us attempted to practice the kind of radical love suggested both by Richard's actions and by the Buddhist loving-kindness meditation? And how might our hoped community right here be a different place if we all try to practice greater forgiveness with ourselves and with each other. Radical forgiveness, radically forgiving with love, this is our challenge. Whether the issue is big or small, we must try to let go of our grievance stories we must stop letting pain, hurt, and resentment stew inside us for weeks, months, years, and even decades. For our own sakes, we must take some of these rocks out of our backpacks. And then, as we practice radical forgiveness, as we heal ourselves, we can then reach out with love and compassion to those doing harm in the world. We can begin to try and see the spark of the divine in all of us. If there's to be forgiveness in the world, there must be forgiveness in the nations. If there's to be forgiveness in the nations, there must be forgiveness in the cities. If there's to be forgiveness in the cities, there must be forgiveness between neighbors. If there's to be forgiveness between neighbors, there must be forgiveness in the home. And if there's to be forgiveness in the home, there must be forgiveness in the heart. May your heart be filled with forgiveness. Amen.